Hey everybody. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited about this new series, Prophets and Kings. It's going to be in the book of First and Second Kings. Anybody been through a series in, in Kings before? Okay, a couple of you. I, in all my life as a, as a Jesus follower, I've never been through that sort of thing. So I'm looking forward to, to learning myself as I go through it. Let me tell you, though, a, a little story first as it relates. Think about uh, working with little, small kids. Anybody ever had uh, trying to do a project with kids? Like maybe you're trying to, I don't know, build a model or paint a picture, do a puzzle. Sometimes it can go well. But, uh, you know, as a, as a father of three, there's been numerous times I've done this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, you're kind of, you're going along, you're getting your paint supplies out, you're getting everything set up. And then, and then you look over and, and all of a sudden, well, sweetie pie, you notice, is, is going to town over here on, on the painting. And you're like, what? Hey, whoa, hold on. What, what happened, sweetie? We were going to paint together. Remember we, we had talked about we were going to paint a picture? Um, and you said you wanted to do like squirrels and uh, a sunset sort of thing? It's, and and Sweet Pie's like, well, I wanted to do a boat. And you look at this, you know, big brown blob of a of a boat, and you're like, ah, thing's kind of trash. That was not the plan here. Deep breath, parental moment to not scar the child for life. You know, child's a little disappointed at how it looks. Didn't come out exactly as planned. But what does a good parent do? Deep breath, and we set about to try and fix the painting. Make it what we intended to together, right? Well, this story that we're going to look at today, uh, it kind of follows this theme. We're in First Kings, but... We're not. Here's, here's the deal. If you open up 1 Kings, you're going to feel like you just came to a shipwreck. And it's like, what happened here? David's old in life. He, he's cold. There's a young woman with him. It's, it's like, there's, it's just kind of, doesn't make any sense um, as far as the starting of a book uh, if you don't have the context. And so we're going to back up. We felt like it would be helpful to do kind of a prequel to this sermon uh, series. And to start out, what I thought would be great is to be in 1 Samuel 8. So if you want to turn there, if you have a Bible, you're welcome to, or you can follow along on the screen. See, in 1 Samuel 8, that's, that's where the, the people of Israel move from uh, leadership that is God-governed and prophet-led to a kingship. So let me set it up for us. Up to this point, God has been leading his people, and he's been taking care of them, speaking largely through prophets, through people like Moses, and, and currently Samuel, 
He's a great prophet. He's done really well for the people. He's led them in, in peace and prosperity. And, and they're, they're surrounded by enemies, but they're, they're doing all right, carving out a life here in Israel. Then, all of a sudden, the elders get together. Dun, 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 dun. Because, you see, Samuel's starting to get old, and his sons, they're pretty much scrubs. They, they take advantage of people, they're dishonest, and, and the people all know it, and they're looking and they're going, oh man, if, if Samuel dies and these guys are the leaders, this is not going to go well. I, I, I mean, I, I know some people I've talked to recently who are like, I'm thinking of moving out of the U.S. as we come to this presidential election. I don't know. Well, this is where these people are at. And so here they go. They just show up at Samuel's door, uninvited, and a kind of a rude awakening for Samuel, their leader. And in verse 5, we read this. They said to Samuel, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Okay, They stink. They're scrubs. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Whoa, whoa, what's the big deal though, God? I mean, these people, they're just concerned about their country going to pot. They just want good leadership. And you did promise a king numerous times through Abraham and Jacob and then in the book of Deuteronomy through Moses. Well, the problem wasn't that they were asking for a king, but what kind of king they were asking for. And that they weren't requesting a king, they were demanding a king. And it wasn't a king in your own time, God, but a king now. We want a king now, like the other nations have. You see, God had a beautiful vision for his people. He wanted to paint a picture with them. Something that the other nations of the world would see and they'd be blessed by. That through Israel, all nations of the earth would profit, would, would be blessed, would do well. That was God's vision. But not theirs. Think of the kings of the ancient world. You know, with that picture that comes to your mind. And just pop off and shout out, what are some of the, the things that, that you think of when you think of an ancient king? Go ahead. Well, tyranny. Yes. What else? Pharaoh. Okay, great. Keep going. Absolute rule. Yes. Think about this. If you go into the king's presence, 
and you're not invited, you could lose your head, literally. That kind of absolute rule. This person was you know, known even as almighty. Sometimes he'd be Lord like God. He is God incarnate. This was not just a mere mortal. And let's contrast it through uh, looking at Deuteronomy 17 at the job description God had to give for the future kings. Listen to what he told them that they were to be like. First of all, the king should be chosen by God. Second, must be a native Israelite. He must not take many wives. He must not accumulate loads of gold. He shouldn't think of himself as above his friends. Doesn't sound very kingly like the kings we were talking about, right? More of a a public servant. And check this out. This gets really interesting in verse 18. He says this, When he, the king, takes his throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. We're talking a long scroll. Taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with them, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Can you imagine President Donald Trump or President Hillary Clinton walking around with the Bible everywhere they go? And, but it's not just a, you know, printed by Zondervan version. This This Bible is handwritten by Donald himself, by Mr. President or Mrs. President. Can you picture that? Quite a distinct image of what it means to be a king for the people of Israel, to the kings of the earth, anywhere throughout history. And not only that, but but consider this. It's not just that they were to have the law with them at all times. They were under the law. Remember that a king, I mean, a king rules absolutely. Mm-mm, not these kings. They are under the law of God. And they themselves need to bow to it because God Almighty is their king. A Bible-believing king, that's not what the people want. Samuel counsels them pleads with them to leave their foolishness behind, to not go this route. It's like, look, guys, this is not going to end well. I mean, this king is going to take the best. He's going to take the fat of the land. He's going to take your young men and make them march along in his chariots. And, and he's going to take the beautiful women and bring them to be his, his bakers and, and have it, them... Uh, to be the sowers, and then he's going to tax you. And eventually you're going to feel like, I mean, it's going to be like being slaves to this king. It's not going to end well. And when you're going to cry out to God, because it's so bad. Check out the response, though. Verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. 
No. No. Like, you know, one of those little kids? No. <laughs> Just like, are you kidding me? Don't I? No. But no, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Sure enough, they get their king. God cooperates with them, even though it wasn't his vision, wasn't the picture he wanted to paint with them. And everything goes sideways. King Saul had God's blessing on him initially, but it wasn't long before everything in the nation just falls apart. As he disobeys God, as he distances himself from the law, Saul's life ends with him falling on his sword, killing himself in battle, and the enemies surrounding like angry hornets to oppress the people. Conditions are terrible. Their plan, their hope is dashed. What they set out to do didn't work at all. This rejection of God's design, his vision, the picture he wants to paint with us, it's the quintessential problem that comes up over and over and over again in the Bible and throughout history. God points this out to Samuel saying, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. Come on, guys. Can't even got God with you. While we shake our heads at them, think, come on, you Israelite fools, what are you doing? Can't we look also at our history up to the present time and see a whole bunch of foolishness and a whole bunch of messes? And war after war after war, terrorism, people trafficking. I mean, to name some of the really big ones, current ones. We demand our rights, even when our rights infringe on others. We use people to get their stuff. We crave sex with whoever we want, whenever we want, however we want. We believe in a politician that will make everything work for us without any sacrifice. Make it work for me and my people. And don't, but don't mess with my life. Don't change anything. We aren't content with what we have. You know, why have that older Honda when you can upgrade, when you can, you know, finance a nicer car, maybe a, a BMW, maybe even a Porsche? used, pre-owned. Your friends are getting engaged. You know, you should too. You have a right. Whether you're ready or not, I mean, you should be able to just go out and get that ring. 
We want our king, and we want him now. We want it our way. It's not a pretty picture. But here's what makes God so amazing. This king of ours, he doesn't just make heads roll when we don't follow him. Time and time again, day after day, year after year, his love never fails. He never gives up on us. He continues to show up day after day and says, what about this day? Do you want to paint together? Do you want to do your own thing? Or do you want to follow me? And we can fix this. Check out throughout the Bible story and see if you don't just see this theme come up over and over again. Us blowing it, God showing grace. Adam and Eve, right? Start off in the garden, everything's great. They blow it, and what does God do? He sews together clothing for them. Abraham and Sarah. God gives them a vision. They blow it. Has Abraham sleep with another woman? Makes a mess of things. And what does God do? He continues to work with them to fulfill his promise to them to bless all nations through them. Look at the story of Israel. Time after time after time we see them being disobedient, going astray, and God continues to show up, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Think about Saul, the king that we just talked about. You know, God could have been like, see, told you, you morons, so stupid. I'm done, man, you're, it's, that's, that's what you get. I'm done, I'm out, I'm going somewhere else. No, all along, He's building this young man, David, with a heart that's after his. If they had just waited and been patient, David would have been the king they had been looking for. God faithfully gives them David. And here's what's written about him. After his death, a song was written that says, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. What a beautiful thing to be written about you. Yet we know that David didn't have the perfect life, right? I mean, truth is, he blew it royally. As a family man, as a dad, as a husband to his wife, wives, as a leader. He blew it numerous times. As we go through the book of 1 Kings and then into 2 Kings, we're going to see this story also crop up over and over again. God holding out a wonderful picture and us wrecking it, doing our own things. Kings painting their own picture for their own glory to their own demise. Wrecking not only their own life, but the lives of others. The lives of their family, their friends, 
the lives of the farmers, the priests, the bakers, the shepherds. Everybody suffers because of these kings blowing it. But God, faithfully speaking through the prophets, he keeps extending a new opportunity to realign with his benevolent kingship. He keeps handing them a paintbrush, saying, watch, watch me, watch me and follow along. What's more, no matter how they blow it, he keeps tying their stories, their little stories, into his mega story, his his theme that, that is painted across history. Before David was born, and long after David's death, it was predicted that a king would come through his lineage to bless the entire world, not just for a little bit, but forever. We get a glimpse of it in places like Isaiah chapter 9, where it's written, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What a promise. Even for people like David who blew it, that God will be faithful to make it happen. I can't do it. I can't make peace in the world. You can't do it. Come on. No king can do it. No politician, no presidential candidate, no matter how they promise no matter what political ideology they try to pose towards us. But there is one king who will do it. And he will do it in the zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Nothing can stop his kingdom coming. No one can overshadow his preeminence. Nothing can wreck his ultimate masterpiece that he is painting throughout history. So here's a few questions. What does the painting of your life look like now? The Israelites, they wanted a political king to lead them instead of God. Another question would be, what are the parts of your life you want to be king of instead of God? And why? Has he let you down? Are you not sure that he's really going to pull through? Is he maybe not even there 
where he doesn't really care about you? This week I had the opportunity to reconnect with a young Hillcrester who'd graduated from Western and then took off south for uh, employment in Portland. It was great to see him. As we talked, he shared a story with me about meeting a young lady down there and kind of falling in love. It's a wonderful woman. She loves Jesus. They're enamored with each other, starting to build a, a relationship. She lives down in California, though. And so he tells me that whenever she flies up to visit him, he, po- he pays for a hotel. He pays for a hotel for her to stay in. And his friends are like, what? Are you an idiot? Are you kidding me? I mean, dude, you got this woman. Like, she should be in bed with you. What are you doing? Are you crazy? You don't even make that much money. Why would you do this? He's crazy. He's crazy because he trusts in a God who can paint really well. He trusts that the picture that God can paint with his life and with her life is way better than the one he can paint. And he's trusting that by following the ways of God, he's not limiting himself, he's not limiting his pleasures. He's actually creating a more beautiful picture in the long run. What if we were the kind of community that lived like Jesus was really a benevolent king in our midst? That we would check in with him before we made purchases, before we bought a house or a car, got married. We'd check in with King Jesus of, hey, is there, is there anything in my life that's not lining up with where you're going, King? We'd trust Him with, with our relationships. We'd trust Him to provide and protect. Be it, be it with our dating life, with our marriage. We might take a pay cut. Or take a different job if he asked us to. Because he's king. And he knows what's best. What if we were the kind of church that prayed, King Jesus, you are the king of kings. And you are the true lead pastor of this church. And you know what's best for us. And so King Jesus, as we as a church look to call a pastor to serve us by leading staff and leading this church, would you guide us? Would you lead us to someone who will be beneficial to this church in in reaching our mission 
that this person would help us to love you better, to grow closer to one another and to you, and to serve the world. And, and Jesus, would you help us to not put our own preferences first, our own timeline first, our own picture of what we want this person to be like. But we would trust you to lead this church for the good of the kingdom. Would you do that? What if we were that kind of church? You can think that there may be some in our midst who we look at the painting of our lives and we go, that's not, that's not what I envisioned. I kind of messed it up. We don't like what our picture looks like at this point. No place tells the story more beautifully, helps us to get a better picture of God's unfailing love for us, of His ability to make all things new, to correct and to to modify the picture of our lives than communion. That's why we keep coming back here week after week to remind ourselves, to realign ourselves with this King. In order to, to show the extent of His love, its height, its depth, its width and breadth, the night before Jesus went to a cross to die, He gathered His flock, His disciples together, And he said to them, This bread, this is my body, broken for you. It's broken for all of us who've made a mess of things, who've wrecked our picture to varying degrees. He's saying, look, take this bread. It's my body broken for you. We can paint a picture together from here right now today. It's a new opportunity. If that weren't clear enough, after supper he takes a cup. And he says, this cup, it's, it's a new covenant, a new deal in my blood. Poured out for the sins of many. Our king is not one to make heads roll, but a king that's first heart cry is to forgive. If we look at the the brown botched blob of a boat, our life picture, and we say, Jesus, it's really messed up. I don't know how to fix it. 
Will you meet me here? Will you help me? He says, Behold, I'm making all things new. Today, friends, as we participate in this communion, maybe it's the hundredth time or maybe it's your first time, it's an opportunity to realign with King Jesus. To say, you know best. I want to follow you in every area of my life. We'll invite the servers forward at this point to take their places around the sanctuary. There will be a gluten-free station in the back for those of you who have that need. We'll invite you to come forward in in lines and to dip the bread into the juice and take, take this on your own, this experience of participation in the story that God has been writing since the beginning of time. Let me pray with us. God, our Father, Jesus, our King, we humble ourselves before you and say, do a new thing. Reshape our paintings of our lives. Make something beautiful from us. Wherever we find ourselves, whatever age we are, whatever our circumstances, would you just come in and start painting for us and show us how to paint like the master. And even now, God, make a masterpiece of our lives that when others look at the picture of our lives, they would see something beautiful. They would see God's handiwork, not because we're great artists, but because you are, and we've let you lead. Show us your unfailing love that never gives up as we participate today. Amen.